This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Hi, welcome to another episode of Wildcat Dojo Conversations. I'm Sensei Michelle, your host. Say hi, guys. Hi, I'm Sensei Jackie. And I'm Landon. And today our guest is Randy. He's been on the show plenty of times. Say hi, Rand. Hi, I'm here. Well, we've looked at the samurai. We've looked at the ninja. And so we're going to finish out that triangle with the ronin, which was the samurai without a master. Ronin actually translates to wave man and refers to a drifter, someone who was adrift in life, a wanderer, or a vagrant, someone who is really completely outside the social structure. What do you guys think about all that? I think that, that I think that it's a very interesting way to look at it. It's very poetic that they use the word wave man. Yeah, because like you're adrift on the sea, right? Yeah, very, very haku of them. <laughs> <laughs> like they're creating a haiku for the homeless guy. That is the poetry of the Japanese writings and the beauty of them all. And all of you guys searched out images on what the Ronin looked like, correct? That is correct, Sensei. Us. Us, uh, Sensei. They look really cool. I found some pictures by just typing in what did the Ronin look like. And I have to admit, they're super awesome. So go and check them out. Images are fun, but I don't think that was a realistic look. Because if they were the outcasts in that caste system, then they probably didn't have the cash flow to look as cool as the images today make them look. Do you guys agree? Ugh. I always agree. All the pictures I found had them in very colorful outfits, which I would imagine they'd probably be wearing much more plain, boring outfits. Exactly. Agree. Anything they could get their hands on. Probably look like a commoner with a sword. Exactly. It's true. Us. So when I started my research on the Ronin, I found out that the caste system had its heyday in the Tokugawa period, and that at that time, the samurai was not allowed to change their status legally if they lost their master. During the Meiji Restoration, that was all dismantled. I've read that too, but... Getting back to the term Ronin, did you know that the term dates back as far as the year 1000? And at the time, it referred to a serf who escaped or deserted his master and the land. Huh. I didn't know that. Way to go. Thanks for sharing, Randy. Okay, let's go over our sources before we go any farther. My two sources were thoughtco.com and one that I found really fun, Legends and Chronicles, all one word, dot com. Sensei, I used Encyclopedia Britannica and found some great videos on that website. And I used mostly Google and was just enthralled by the Google images of the Ronin. I too used Google. Good old Google. <laughs> Google and Wikipedia are our old friends. Us. Sensei Jackie, why don't you pick it up here and give us a short synopsis of how someone ended up as a Ronin. Us, Sensei, it was pretty straightforward. Either their master died or they fell out of favor with their master. But what was weird was that before the Edo period, Tokugawa period, same thing, before 1600, it wasn't hard for a samurai to get a new daimyo, lord, boss. But the Tokugawa period brought, along with all the peace and consumerism, strict new laws about changing class. You couldn't. So samurai who lost their master usually finished their lives in poverty. Wow. So it was in the Edo period where they were truly expected to commit ritual suicide, seppuku. Maybe another episode. <laughs> well, it sounds pretty yucky, so maybe we'll turn it into a short. How's that sound? 
All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get back on track. So they were expected to commit seppuku when they lost their master, not only because that was the code of the samurai, but also to prevent revenge killings. Hint, 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 hint for the ending of today's show. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ran, talk to us about the Ronin back in the day. The Ronin were the warriors who bucked tradition. They didn't kill themselves and they still wore two swords. Remember back to the samurai episode that samurai would often have to sell one or both of their swords? Therefore, they also carried Yumi archery bows or joysticks. So, Sensei Jackie, tell us about the joystick. Uh, Sensei, I love the joystick. It's one of my favorite weapons that the samurai and the ronin carried. It's a stick, a staff, the same as a bow except much shorter. It was about four feet long. And so, therefore, you could hide it. And you could use it for short or long combat, depending on what you needed. And it was also usable like we would use a cane today for uh, hitting or anything that you needed right at that point. Cool, right? (laughs) Yes. That's so interesting. Going back to the archery bows, Sensei Jay just asked me the other day if we would do a whole episode on archery, not just Japanese, but all kinds of archery. And of course, I said, for sure, we're going to do that, right? Oh, Sensei, that would be super cool. Hey, maybe people can tweet us about the first time they ever shot any kind of a bow. Won't that that be be fun? That would be so cool. Since I was raised by my older brothers, I was out doing target things at a pretty young age, 10 or 12. So thanks, Tom and Billy. Rest in peace, guys. Sensei, that's interesting about your brothers. But unfortunately, I think it is super unfair that samurai couldn't change careers legally. Even though a rule was in place, a few beat the system and became bodyguards, and some even became henchmen for the wealthy. Do the listeners remember we said some even started gangs? I remember that. Here's another weird aside. The term ronin is used in Japan to describe somebody who is not in college and a salary man who is in between jobs. Huh. Mm. That seems harsh. But moving back to history, by the end of the Tokugawa period, there were almost half a million ronin. This caused an uprising where ronin fought to change the policy. Finally, the shogunate relaxed the policy on changing your place in society and allowed them to find new masters. The uprising was called the Kaon Uprising, and it started in 1651. Very cool. By the way, did you guys ever wonder how Musashi was able to feed himself after he became a ronin? I actually have thought about that. Have you guys? I was wondering whether he had to beg for food or if people who knew of him came to help him without him even having to ask. Well, I wonder if I he want- just hunted with the, with the bow. Oh, good idea, Rand. Back in the day, that would have been smart. Okay, guys, let's finish up with the stories we found on our sites that are supposedly true stories of Ronin. Us, I'll go ahead and start. I have an example of a person who changed their class before the Edo period. His name was Saito Dosan, and he was a merchant and rose to become a warrior and then a daimyo. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Wow. And I have an example of a person who lost their master and did something really different. His name was Yamada Nagamasa, and he decided to go overseas for adventure. Ooh, how, that does not sound romantic. 
It doesn't. It sounds very um, anti the policies of the countries at that time. Agreed. Okay, one more is Kaikute Bakken renounced his allegiance to his master, a position he was born into from his father, a samurai there, and he voluntarily became a ronin and spent the rest of his life writing books, which is pretty cool. And that's actually his pen name. It's not even his actual name. Oh, really? Yeah, his actual name is Takizawa. Was wow. His origi- was his original given, like his original family name. Very cool, Ryan. I did not know that. And that is really cool to know. And as a little side note, I'd say definitely look up all these Ronin. They have very, very interesting backstories that we can't go into detail here with all three of them. I would agree. I don't think we need to spell because we didn't have any trouble finding them. So if you start looking up anything having to do with Ronin, these people will come up. Yes. And I do agree. These people have very interesting backstories, very busy, very full of life. You know, they they took life by the horns and lived it, right? Us, uh, so it showed that Ronin lifestyle of foraging your own path. Nice. Okay, when I told Randy that we were going to do this podcast on Ronin, the first thing he said to me was, well, you're going to tell the story of the 47 Ronin, right? See, I didn't know before I did this research that that's a super famous story. Did you know that, Sensei Jackie and Landon? I did not know, but every time I looked anything up about Ronan, it said 47 Ronan, 47 Ronan. It was like, you know, coming right at me. Same thing that I saw. I know you mentioned, Randy, that it's all over the world of anime, right? Uh, It's all over anime, and it's pretty much all over the culture of Japan. Like, if you mention Ronan in Japan, it's 47 Ronan, because they're like the example of how Ronan should act. So this is our last story, and I definitely will say our most fun story. It all started in April of 1701. So during the Tokugawa period. Exactly. The shogunate at the time appointed three new men to the status of daimyo. All three were unclear on etiquette, so they were instructed to get tutoring from a man named Kira Yoshinaka. He was a retainer of the shogunate. One man from Eiko his name was Asano, didn't follow the directions. He didn't get his tutoring, so he didn't bring the proper gifts. Because of this social misstep, he was taunted and belittled publicly by Yoshinaka, the man who was supposed to have been his tutor. By the way, when you read this story in different places, the details change depending on which source you read. Each source has different levels of meanness from Yoshinaka to Asano, and different reasons why the other two weren't tortured as much. For example, one of the sources said that only one of the three men got the tutoring, but the second man paid um, Yoshinaka to quit bothering him Ah. after the fact. One of the sources did say that. But the bottom line is the same. Asano was constantly, constantly ridiculed publicly Mm. by Yoshinaka. Bummer. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't sound like an easy life, does it? Terrible. Yeah. Okay, Rand, what happened? Okay, finally on April 21st, 1701, Asano couldn't take any more. He lunged at Yoshinaka, the tutor and tormentor. Unfortunately, the tutor was just wounded. But because of the breach of status, Asano was ordered to commit seppuku, which he did. Some accounts say the same day. Others say it was a few days later. That is a lot to take in. But there's so much more. It took days for the information to reach the Akko Fortress, Asano's home. As the rumors arrived in Akko that the Shogun would be taking over the castle, 
The samurai, now Ronin, led by Oishi Yoshio, decided not to fight for the castle and instead seek revenge. Some sources say there were 320 Ronin and all but 47 committed seppuku. Some sources say 47 was the total number of samurai and they were all committed to the revenge. As part of their plan, the castle was surrendered on May 26. Of course, Yoshinaka lived in fear of revenge, but the ex-samurai, the Ronins, looked like they decided to retire to a life of either menial labor or lazy decadence. Their behavior caused the Lord to let down his guard. Oishi Yoshio, the leader, orchestrated this so well that he even divorced his wife and sent his family away to protect them. The legend says his oldest son stayed. Can you guys imagine that kind of commitment and that kind of focus? Yeah, I can't even, especially with what the sources say about how far they went with the ruse. Exactly. Nobody thought there was revenge in the future. Let's put it that way. Okay, Rand, pick it up. Okay. In autumn or winter of 1702, depending on which source you read, Oshi and his son and 45 others forced their way into Kira's mansion and killed the hated adversary with only four casualties and no deaths. They proceeded to take the head of their enemy to the grave of their master. Then they sat at the grave and waited to be arrested. The attack on the castle sounds a little bit like something our elite military would do, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. And all those things that we see on TV when they've captured um, the enemy. I think it's very like that because in all the sources I've read, they planned it out where they like they went to the neighbor's houses, they subdued them. It was really military precision. Yeah, I read where they told all the neighbors to stay inside and that they were going to do it like right on the spot. Like they went there and the first thing they did was go to the neighbor's castles. I did read that as well. You're right. All right, Landon, you got the big part. Take us home. All right, here we go. As word spread of their loyal behavior, they immediately became popular with the masses. The shogunates relating to their loyalty and courage wanted to pardon them. Unfortunately, his counselors realized this would be a bad precedent. So by order of the shogun, the ronin were sentenced to commit seppuku. And they did. The ritual suicides happened either in February or March of 1703. Except for one young person who was not arrested and lived to tell the story. One source says it was Oshi's son. Another account says the son did commit seppuku, and it was another young boy who lived to tell the story. Either way, the samurai ronin were buried with their master, and one source says that there was such an outcry from the public for the deaths of these loyal warriors that the shogunate returned one-tenth of the land in his title to Asano's son. Hmm. Very cool, right? Yes. So, by all standards, a legend was born. The 47 Ronin were folk heroes really before they even committed seppuku, and many people were hoping they'd be pardoned. After their deaths, poems and essays were written. Within 100 years... Over 40 plays had been written. So what we're saying here is their graves are famous in the country. People go there like it's a tourist thing, right, Randy? Uh, their graves are a sh- huge shrine in Japan. It's a big tourist attraction. It, I think it's in Tokyo. I believe you're right. I didn't write it down, though. All right. So here we are 
out of history and into the 20th century. By the 20th century, there were movies. And of course, let's do this in a round robin. All the movies are about the 47 Ronin, right? Essensei, the first one I found on Wikipedia dates back to 1941, and it's a Japanese film. It was called Genroku Chusingura, which was also the name of the first play in the 1700s, and it means The Treasury of Loyal Retainers. Okay, here's another movie, and it's from 1994, and and this name is a mouthful, so I'm going to give it a shot here. Shijushi Shinin no Shikaku. How'd I do? Great. What a mouthful. Right? Oh, my goodness. It told this. It told the same story, and it's a Japanese film, as I mentioned, with Ken Takakura playing the role of Oishi. I couldn't find the literal meaning for that name I just said, and I did look for it. It just said that it was a retelling of the story. I also read about some more Japanese versions, one in 1962 and one in 1965. And then in 1978, there was one called The Fall of the Eiko Castle, But there was no follow-up information on any of those. So I believe, Landon, we have one more movie to tell them about. Oh, Sensei. Well, the most recent movie is a Hollywood-produced movie in 47 Ronin, and it was produced in 2013. Reviews say that it is full of special effects, somewhat of a fantasy that stars Keanu Reeves. They also say that it doesn't have much in common with the original legend except for the name. Now, I can agree with some of those reviews as I watched the trailer, and to be honest, I got really intrigued. So what you're saying is you actually want to see the movie? Maybe. One day. Cool. Did you see it yet, Ran? No, I haven't seen that one. Okay, talk to us about Ronin in anime real quick before we close out. There's no anime that are related specifically to the 47 Ronin, but there's two animes that really focus on the Ronin. One of them is Roroni Kenshin about a uh, samurai who fought during the Edo period and killed a lot of people. And after that, he decided he wasn't going to kill anymore, but he still wanted to defend the weak. And it shows how it's how he's trying to regain his honor after doing a war and dishonoring himself. Another one that really deals with Ronin is called Samurai Champloo. It's about two Ronin. One is very prim and proper and is like it looks like a traditional samurai, but has left his master because of a disagreement. And then there's another there's another Ronin who's very rough and thuggish and self-taught and shows that example of it. It, it also has a lot of hip-hop themes, which is weird for an anime. Wow. We really haven't seen any of those yet, have we, Sensei Jackie and Landon? No, Sensei, I have not seen those. I have not, but they surely do sound interesting. So I bet some of our listeners have, and this is when we should say, send us your Ronin stories, send us your archery stories, tell us anything you want, and we're going to tell them how to get in touch. Are we going to start landing with our new one, Twitter? Us and say, of course. You guys can go and check out our new Twitter page at Wildcat Jojo. And it turns out Wildcat Jojo is the name of our presence all over the web. It's all one word. Wild Cat and Dojo is D-O-J-O. Did I miss any of the online things, Jackie? Sensei, don't forget to tell everybody that our email address isn't Wild Cat Dojo. It's dojoconversations at AOL.com. I'm so old school there, aren't I? I'm like ancient school, actually. And you can always leave us a voicemail or a text at 954 
350-350-1915. So that's our show on Ronins. But before we close this out, I want to say we really would like you to subscribe and review our podcast. And if you've already done those and you're willing to do one more thing for us, how about if they told somebody about our podcast or sent them a note, a tweet, an email, anything to tell them about our podcast and grow our audience for us a little bit. Wouldn't that be awesome? Great idea, Sensei. Oh, yes. Yes. And we would appreciate it. You know, Rand, it's always so much fun to have you on the show. Just in case you guys haven't heard of this for a long time, not only is Randy a student, but he's also my nephew. So it's always fun to talk when we're not in person on the air like this. Us. It's always fun. I always love being on the show. All right, guys. It's time to say goodbye. Somebody start me out. Sensei Jackie saying bye. See you soon. Good night, everybody. Bye. And this is Sensei Michelle signing off. Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again next week on Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Don't forget to use Honor Athletics if you have a karate need. Need a gi, some weapons, some weights? Give them a holler at 770-945-5150 or reach them at honorathletics.com. Don't forget to mention Wildcat Dojo for your 10% discount. Thanks for your support.